Welcome to Getting Through It, where we're here to help you get through it. I'm John Buery, and as always, I'm with author of The Big Ones, Dr. Lucy Jones. We'd like to thank our supporters who help underwrite the work of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society, which allows us to serve even more communities through this podcast and many other projects we undertake. Now, let's get to it. For my entire life, there has been discussion of The Big One coming to LA and Southern California. In 1994, when I was a young child, my family was sure that the big one had come with the Northridge earthquake, but we were disappointed to find out that it really wasn't the big one. The actual big one is the one we modeled as part of the shakeout earthquake scenario back in 2008. The San Andreas Fault, as you have said, Lucy, has really the biggest earthquakes in Southern California. And yet in the past half century, there's only been one earthquake on it and no one really remembers it. I mean, you had to remind me as we prepared for today. Why is this legendary fault such a letdown? Because it's actually a weak fault. It's really pathetically weak. It's so weak that once an earthquake starts to move it, it can't stop and the rupture grows to be really big. Let's not forget, earthquakes only begin at epicenters, but happen over a surface as a rupture front moves down the fault. And on the San Andreas, nothing will stop that rupture front. We get our magnitude seven and eights. So why is the San Andreas fault particularly weak versus the hundreds of other faults in the region? Well, what makes a weak fault? It means that there's nothing to stop the rupture. And the San Andreas fault has had so many earthquakes and has been worn down through that process to be so smooth that it requires less stress to get it to move. And there's nothing out there to get it to stop compared to the other faults. It started strong and jagged, but has progressed over the millennia to be smooth. You've also said that with no friction, no resistance, that there would be no earthquakes. So smooth is relative? Oh, absolutely. You know, just like we have geologic time, you got to think of time in a different dimension. We got to talk about smooth over a different dimension as well. Seismologists talk about the life cycle of a fault. At first, you have solid rock, but something's pushing on it. The plate motion wants to get things to move. So there might be a small flaw in that rock and that'll break. But once it starts to break, you've got solid rock around it and it can't keep on growing. So you get a very little earthquake and maybe you start getting a lot of little earthquakes. We have an early phase then in the development of a fault where there are lots of small earthquakes, but no big ones. We actually are seeing this in Southern California right now in the Southern Sierra Nevada. We have what we call the Southern Sierra and seismic lineation. And for us lay people, what is that seismic lineation? Actually, what it means, it's a line of earthquakes. When we look at a map of earthquake epicenters, we see something close to a line, a bunch of small earthquakes developing into a plane, but still unable to break all the way through in just one event. The next phase would be a young fault as those little earthquakes finally start adding up and breaking through. And the best example we have of this right now in Southern California is the San Jacinto Fault. We are pretty sure that it didn't exist just 700,000 years ago. And there's that geologic time poking its head into our conversation again. It reminds me of episode 15. We talk about 700,000 years being young with respect to the age of the earth, of course. And I think it's just perspective quickly. Humans have only been in North America for about 20,000 years. So that really does put it in perspective. So the San Jacinto Fault is starting to coalesce into a through-going fault, but it isn't all the way yet. 
If you look at a geologic map of Southern California at the San Jacinto, you'll see many different strands and some of them right next to each other, parallel and breaking up and merging back together. It's a very fast moving fault. It's almost as fast as the Southern San Andreas Fault. But instead of one really big earthquake every century or two, it gives us magnitude six to seven events every decade or two. And it also has many smaller earthquakes in addition to the big ones as we continue to try and smooth it out and join up between the earthquakes, allowing it to form. So this teenaged fault, and that's my term, the San Jacinto, shows us what the San Andreas Fault was like maybe two to four million years ago. Right. And as faults mature, the small earthquakes become less common. There are fewer jagged points left on the fault to stop an earthquake rupture. The Elsinore Fault is another part of the San Andreas system, and it's more mature than the San Jacinto. You only see a couple of strands at the Earth's surface, and there are still some magnitude threes and fours, but much fewer than the San Jacinto. But the Southern San Andreas Fault has reached the point that there are no small earthquakes at all on the main strand. We see small earthquakes near it, but the focal mechanisms of those events that show the orientation of their faults show that they are not on the main strand. Now, wait a minute. When I started today, we talked about that there was one in about the last 50 years, but that doesn't follow your model about a mature fault. Well, the San Andreas is a complicated fault. It is, in addition to being that big plate boundary motion, it's being bent here in Southern California with the more northerly part being pushed to the west in what we call the big bend of the San Andreas Fault. There's now about a hundred mile offset in those northwest trending parts of the fault. And in between, we have the big bend and that misalignment makes the twisted part stronger. Mount San Gorgonios, the tallest mountain in Southern California, it's being pushed up at the twist and that takes a lot of energy. We sometimes call that part of the San Andreas Fault the San Gorgonio Knot. So let me just jump in here for a minute. We've got the big bend of the San Andreas Fault. We've got this knot. Are these technical terms or how did they come about? Well, we've given them technical meanings, but they come up because that's what the geologists and as we talk about it, it's the way it comes out. So the big bend is everything from desert hot springs west over to Tahoe Pass, to Fort Tahoe. The San Gorgonio Knot is a piece of the big bend that's the most complicated. We don't even see the fault at the surface in the knot. And in the past century, there have been two earthquakes in the knot that we think may be the active part of the San Andreas. In 1948, we had the Desert Hot Springs earthquake. And then in 1986, on July 8th, the North Palm Springs earthquake. Both were right around magnitude six. That North Palm Springs earthquake was actually the first significant earthquake to occur after I joined the USGS. How is it known that the North Palm Springs earthquake was actually on the San Andreas if you said we can't even see it? And because of that, we're actually not completely certain because we don't know for certain what is the active part of the San Andreas Fault within the knot. We don't see it at the surface and different geologists have different ideas about where the active strand is. We won't know for certain until we get the next big quake that ruptures through that part. But the focal mechanism of the North Palm Springs earthquake, which shows us the orientation of the fault, shows that it aligns with one of the known strands. But everywhere else where we are certain where the fault that breaks in big earthquakes is located, we just don't see small ones. If we ever do see a magnitude five, for instance, on the San Andreas Fault outside of the, knot, the San Gorgonio knot, we are going to be very concerned that it could be a foreshock. Once the San Andreas Fault gets moving, it seems very hard to stop it. 
We'll leave it there for now. And so until next time, I'm John Bwery with Dr. Lucy Jones and you getting through it. Getting Through It is a production of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Visit us online to get past shows. Our music is performed by Josh Lee, and this closing music is written by our own Dr. Lucy Jones. Mm-hmm.